So there's all feeling. And verse 13 says, Let us for the opportunity we have of coming together once again around your word. Father, we thank you for this precious book this divine revelation, this inspired truth, Father God, that we have before us. One of the sure and certain absolutes of today, Father God, is your word, which changed not. And we do pray that, Lord, tonight as we open up your word, that you give us understanding, that you guide our time. May you uh, be exalted, Father. Uh, Lord, just help me to have clarity of thought so that I might have simplicity of speech. And that your word, Father God, tonight might have a impact upon each of us for your glory. Bless our time in your word, we pray. May you be exalted. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In our study on Romans chapter 13, we noted that Romans chapter 13 verses 8 through 14 form one common subject here in this epistle. And that subject is the one of living righteously towards our neighbours. We noted that neighbor uh, in the Greek, the word neighbor here in the Greek means one who is nearby. Someone who is generally considered to be those in our community. What it's speaking about is both the saved and the unsaved. We are to treat them a, a certain way. We are to act righteously towards our neighbors. You know, one of the great principles of God's word is that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And here in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, God, by his word, seeks to motivate each and every one of us as believers to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, we have seen so far in this passage, verses 8 through 14, we've seen the principle given in verses 8 through 10, and then we saw the, uh, then we consider the motivation for loving our neighbor last time in Romans 13, 11 and 12. And now tonight, as we come to Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, and close out this chapter, what we're going to find is that Romans 13, 13 and 14 give to us some specific exhortations which concern how we are to conduct ourselves in relationships to our neighbors. Firstly, we're told we're to walk honestly before our neighbor. Look in verse 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. The word walk here is an expression meaning to live. It's let us live or let us conduct ourselves honestly. So it's not just the action of walking, but it's the idea of our conduct. We're to have a conduct that is honest before our neighbor. So that people look upon us, what they see is someone who is genuine, someone who has conducted themselves honestly. The word honestly here means decent or becoming. It means to have a decent or becoming manner. 
In other words, you and I are to live in a way, in a way that's appropriate to those who are children of light. Now remember verse 12, we're told, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. So you and I are children of light, and because we're the children of the light, you and I therefore are to walk in a way that reflects that character, that reflects that position that we have in Christ. We are to walk decently as the children of light. Martin Luther Jones puts it this way, anything unseemly does not fit the Christian. It is a contradiction of the truth that Christians believe and claim for themselves. The habit doth proclaim the man, writes Shakespeare, and he is right. It is equally true that the way in which people live tell you a lot about them. So there should be a correspondence between belief and conduct. Our belief and our conduct should match. What we say we believe ought to be reflected in the way that we live. You and I claim to be God's children. You and I claim to be Christians. You and I claim to be saints. Therefore, our conduct ought to reflect what we are. People ought to be able to see that we're a Christian before ever we open our mouth. They ought to be able to see us by our conduct that we're different. Our conduct should reflect our relationship. And we do that by putting on truth. He says, but in verse 13, let us walk honestly, he says. Let us walk honestly as in the day. As in the day. Now this idea of walking as in the day means that you and I should conduct ourselves as if our actions were seen and known all the time. In other words, that you and I are living in the daylight 24 hours a day. That you and I are living in a way that it would be like we're in the daylight 24 hours a day. Our actions reflect that character. He's reminding us that as believers, we belong to the day. We're not children of darkness, we're children of light. Seem to have heard that somewhere today already. We're not children of darkness, we're children of light. And we're not to reflect the darkness. You and I reflect what we are. We're children of light. People ought to be able to see us as children of light. That's why it said, as we saw this morning, let your light so shine before men. That's what we are. We're the children of the day. We're not the children of darkness. One commentator said, people by day are in open light, live decently, live. their foul and wicked deeds are done in the night. The apostle exhorts Christians to live as if their conduct was seen. And they had nothing which they wished to conceal. You and I ought to have such a conduct that no matter who is watching us, whenever they're watching us, we have nothing to conceal. That there's never a time where you and I are acting like those of the dark. That you and I are living as though we are open and exposed to the world 24 hours a day. Everybody can see what we're doing all the time, therefore we're living with nothing to conceal. If we walk in the day, we walk honestly before everyone so that everyone can see us. And while we're in the day, we have the light. And so we should let our light shine and let the light of God's truth shine from us and from, our, from us in honesty. A Christian should not need someone to keep them honest. One of the characteristics of you and I as believers should be that we are honest. No one needs to keep us honest because we are honest. We are, let us walk honestly in the, as in the day. 
We should just live as becoming as decent, as appropriate manner as believers. We should just be honest before all men. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, remember that the light is upon you from the standpoint of those who are not Christians. They're watching and observing you. They're also scrutinizing you. They're always ready to discover any defects and use them as an argument against Christianity. They are doing that today just as they have always done. Walk and live, therefore, as those who, are, who already belong to the day. See, when it talks about you and I walking honestly as those of the day, that's what it means to put on the armor of light. Back there in verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let the, therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. What does it look like to put on the armor of light? Well, when you and I put on the armor of light, you and I walk honestly. You and I walk accordingly as those who are in the light. You and I walk and live as children of the day, day by day. Now, in Romans chapter 13, 13, the Apostle Paul then goes on to give us some of the works of darkness that you and I to put off. Okay? He's told us what we're to be. We're to walk honestly before all mankind, we're to walk honestly before our neighbor as in the day, we're to have a character, a conduct that reflects who we are. That we are believers in Christ, that we're his children, we reflect that as the children of the day. Now what he does, he tells us some of the works of darkness that you and I are to put off. He puts them in couplets. While we're walking honestly in the day, we are not to be rioting in, you know, or in drunkenness. Notice what he says in verse 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and in drunkenness. Here's the opposite to walking honestly in the day, walking as the children of the light. Here's the opposite, rioting and drunkenness. That's raging and reveling. One commentator said, rioting and drunkenness constitute the first class of sins from which we would keep, uh, he would keep them. It's scarcely necessary to add that these were common crimes among the pagan. Now, if you and I were to go back to Rome, the time of Paul writing the book of Romans, and you and I, as we study history, can find out what it was like in his day, what we would find, what we'd read about the Romans is that they used to love having drunken parties that were full of all sorts of excesses. And you know, we've come not come very far by the time we get to the 21st century, have we? Because you know today in the world in which we live, there is a perception that you're not having a good time unless you're having a wild party. In fact, a wild party seems to be characteristic of having a good time in the society in which we live. No different than it was in the time of Paul in, the, in Rome and the Roman Empire. And the point here is that if our lifestyle is like that one described here, if we're living in drunkenness and rioting, as described here, then we are walking in darkness. And if we're walking in darkness, then we're bound to upset our neighbours. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, such behaviour is to be remote from the life of the Christian. That's why the Bible says that if we're born again, then we're not to act that way. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. It says that you put off concern in the former conversation, the old man, 
which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We're to put off the old, the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We're not to live that way. We're not to live like the world. We're not to live in rioting and drunkenness. Pastor Mitchell in his notes on Romans said the most, the most foolproof method of not being drunk is to be a teetotaler. Or to put it another way, don't drink at all and you won't have to worry because you won't ever be drunk. And we're commanded here by the Lord in the word of God that as believers we're to walk honestly and one way that we reflect that is by not walking in rioting and drunkenness. The second couplet, he goes and says, not in chambering and wantonness. Now these refer to sexual license and the sin of promiscuity. Chambering here literally means going from bed to bed. Webster defines it as lewd, immodest behavior. Wantonness is neglect of restraint. It's outrageous behavior. So it's excessive shameful living, which is bound to offend many people because it is self-centered. As believers, we're not to live lewd, immodest, negligent of restraint, outrageous behavior. We're to live honestly before all men. You know, the behavior mentioned here that we're not to have part of this wantonness and chambering is the behavior that is described back in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, please. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Well, we have a description of what the world looks like. It says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like uncorruptible men, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did ch change the natural use into that which was against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lusts, one toward another, men with men working what is, which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was met. And, as they did, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over unto a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, deceitful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who know the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That's the description of the kind of character that the Apostle Paul is mentioning here in summary in Romans chapter 13 and verse 13, particularly in this, these words, chambering and wantonness. Such ungodly behavior is bound to upset a neighbor or two. And therefore it should not be found in us. 
and commentators said since Christians were to be special people, the apostle enjoins on them purity and holiness of life. As our neighbours look at us, as those around us look at us, what they should see is someone who's different. The world loves chambering and wantedness. They love to live this life of partying and, and excess. And you and I are to be different. You and I are to live in a way that reflects that we're the children of the light. That we're living in the daylight, that everyone can see all that we're doing and what they can see is Christ-likeness. None of these things should ever be found in you and I as believers. Then he gives us a third couplet. He says, not in strife and envying. The word strife means contention, disputes, litigations. The word envying means zeal, any intense, vehement, fervent passion. And strife and envying speak of mischief-making, of backbiting, causing division, quarreling, standing up for your rights. That's what these words mean. That you and I are living in such a way that we reflect poorly upon Christ. It's mischief-making, backbiting, etc. Martin Lloyd Jones said, It is most extraordinary, but we must never forget it. Strife and envy belong exactly the same family as the other sins listed. He puts strife and envy with, uh, uh, want, uh, with uh, the, the first one there, rioting and drunkenness, chambering and wantonness, and he puts his strife and envy with them. They come in the same category of sins as far as God is concerned. Strife and envy engender contention. Strife and envy, and envy engender arguments, fights, violence, which are not neighborly, are they? You know, a neighbor should not see you and I as believers as those people who are contentious, as people who are backbiting, people who are mischief-making, people who are quarreling, people who are standing up for their rights. They ought to see people who are humble and honest, children of the light. Let's ensure that we don't sow discord amongst the brethren. Rather, we should strive for unity and harmony. Look in Colossians 3, please. Colossians chapter 3. And verse 8. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. He reiterates the same idea. There's certain things that you and I had to put off now that we're saved. Our conversation and our walk must be as becomes the gospel of Christ. People ought to be able to look at us and what they ought to be able to see is a reflection of the person and character of Christ. They shouldn't see a reflection of the world in us. It's unfortunate isn't it, when believers are no different in the world. When people see worldliness in believers, what they see is not Christ. What they don't see is the children of the day. What they see is just imitation, imitators of the children of darkness. And then we don't have an effective witness for them. Remember this morning we talked about the fact that our witness was uh, our works. Let your light shine and so people might see your good works. 
What people need to see before we ever open our mouth is you know, to see the way we live, the way we act, what we do. And then when we do open our mouth, that, that our conversation reflects the character that we are. So that people see that we are children of the day. These works of darkness are all around us in our neighborhoods. We are in Christ, though, or to cast them off and be lights in the darkness. To put it in a nutshell, we should walk honestly before our neighbor. You see, these are the characteristics that ought not to be evident in our life. We ought to put these off so that we can walk honestly before our neighbor, so that we can have a character that reflects who we are, that we have a conduct rather that reflects our character for the glory of God. So here we're told that we ought to walk honestly before our neighbor. And then in verse 14, the Bible explains how we're to walk honestly before our neighbor. So how do we do this? How do we manage to have a behavior before our neighbor that is godly? How do we ensure that we're walking honestly before our neighbor as in the day? Well, verse 14 tells us, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make, no, no, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Here's a grand statement of the beginning of this verse. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do it? By putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Long Jones says this is not an afterthought, but is a vital part of the Apostle's whole process of argumentation and of his whole appeal. If you like, this is the this is everything he's been saying in chapter thirteen is leading to this verse. Everything he's been telling us verses eight through thirteen is leading to verse fourteen. This is how we ensure that we live righteously before our neighbours. This is how we ensure that we have a godly conduct before our neighbours. This is how we ensure that you and I are walking as children of the day, uh, children of the day. We're walking in the light. It's by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the words rendered, or the word rendered, put ye on, is the same as used back in verse 13, verse 12 of chapter 13. Where it says, The night is fast spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. So what's being suggested here is that as a soldier puts on the armor, so you and I are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's commonly employed as a reference to clothing or apparel. You and I are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ as we would put on our clothing physically. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually. We're to dress ourselves in the characteristics of Christ. I explained, uh, one commenter explained it this way. As a man puts on his clothes... When he rises in the morning, the righteousness of Christ is compared to a garment. It is, best robe. it is the best robe. It is the fine linen, clean and white, and change of raiment. And so like you and I change our clothing, you and I are to put on all that Jesus Christ is. If you and I want to walk honestly before the world, if we want to walk honestly before our neighbors, the children of the day, then you and I have to change our garments. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Another commentator said, This clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ is the secret to living pure lives. 
It is similar to the put on the armour of light in verse verse 12 of chapter 13. This injunction conveys the idea that we are to arm ourselves with the resources of Christ himself. What's been asked of us here as believers is that you and I identify ourselves with Christ. And we identify ourselves with Christ by following his example. By heeding his teaching. By obeying his commands. By accepting his expectations and ultimately by being clothed with divine power. We're not to be drunk with wine where there's excess, but we're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to walk in the Spirit so we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You and I are to be clothed spiritually with the Lord Jesus Christ and we do that by putting on that which he is and we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. As you and I walk in the Spirit, as you and I yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, as you and I are sanctified day by day, as you and I are changed from glory unto glory by the Spirit of God, you and I are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as people then look at us, what they see in us is the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ means that we remind ourselves often that he is Lord. We remind ourselves often that we must surrender to his lordship. We remind ourselves often we must surrender to his leadership. That daily we must immerse ourselves in Jesus Christ through the word of God that we might be like him through his word. You know, we should ask daily what would Jesus do in every situation? What would the Lord do? Because you see, if we're going to be walking honestly as the children of the day, then we need to ask the question, what would Jesus do in every situation? Turn with me to Colossians again. Colossians chapter 3 again. Starting in verse 10 where we ended last time, let's read down to verse 17. Colossians 3, 10. And I've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but all, uh, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels and mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The key is there, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. You and I are to let the word of God dwell in us richly with all wisdom. And when we do, we will put on the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll put off the works of darkness. And you and I will walk in the light as he is in the light. 
put on the Lord Jesus means to make him as a uh, to take him as the pattern and guide for our life to imitate his example to obey his precepts to become like him you see in Ephesians chapter 1 and ver- uh, chapter 5 and verse 1 you and I are told that we're to walk in a certain way Ephesians 5:1 Tells us to be followers of God as dear children. That word followers there is imitators. We're to be imitators of God as dear children. Then he says in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as sweet-smelling savour. And then he lists things we're to put off. We're to be imitators of God. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And note, it says, put ye on, here in this verse. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, clothe yourselves. Put it on yourself. You see, we have a choice in this matter. You and I can walk around in the filthy rags that we were had before we got saved. You and I can walk around in, in worldly rags. You and I can walk around as children of darkness. You and I can try to reflect the wickedness of the world in the behavior that we have we can wear those old smelly rags if we want to or we have a choice we can put on the Lord Jesus Christ we can put on the new clothes what he says to you and I is he says I want you to choose to put me on I want you to choose to put on the new clothes I want you to choose to be clothed and covered by Jesus. Martin Jones says the command to put on the Lord Jesus Christ means that we are to rely on him. It's like a soldier putting on his armor. We put him on in this way, conscious of our weakness and of our need for strength and ability and power. We turn to him and say, as the hymn says, I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. We need him every hour. And we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ continually, daily, moment by moment, praying, Lord, we need you. In other words, we must realize that we're walking through a world of darkness. You and I are walking through a world of sin and wickedness. And you and I need the armor of God upon us that we might shine as children of the day. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to realize that we cannot withstand the world, the flesh, and the devil in our own strength. What we need is the power of God. What we need is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we put on our reliance on, we put our reliance on Him. And His strength empowers us. His strength gives us the ability to be able to stand for Him. It's His strength that empowers you and I to bring glory to Him we put on the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ he goes on in verse 14 and says but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof provision here means to think before to think before he says don't think beforehand about putting on the works of the flesh look in James chapter 1 and verse 14 please James chapter 1 
says in James 1 verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And that's what the apostle is saying here about making sure that we make no provision of the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. To think before, the flesh will be as active as you and I allow it to be. If you and I are to make no provision for the flesh, then we're to make sure that we do not lay up beforehand or plan beforehand to gratify the flesh. You and I need to plan not to gratify the flesh. You and I need to plan to avoid places where the flesh will be gratified. You and I need to make positive actions to make sure we make no provision for the flesh. Look in Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians chapter 5. And verse 16. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another, so that we cannot do the things that we would. But if you be led of the Spirit, ye are not on the law. And then he lists the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. Verse 25, he goes and says, uh, verse 24, sorry, he says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. You and I are to live in the Spirit, we're to walk in the Spirit, and we're to make no provision for the flesh. Pastor Mitchell said this, We have the light, we have the armor of light, we have Jesus Christ to put on, but we will not shine. We will be dull in our transmission of it if we take thought to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know, if we make provision for the flesh, we make provision for the lust of flesh, then we've pre-planned to sin. And that's what's to be avoided. We're not to plan, not to make provision for the flesh. If we know that we have a struggle with something, then we ought to avoid the thing we struggle with. It's no point, you know, uh, when, when an alcoholic is trying to get away from being an alcoholic, it's no point in having alcohol in the house and trying to avoid drinking it. He's got to put it away from him or her. And that's the point here. If you make provision, if you allow a situation to exist where you know you struggle, where you know that you have difficulty, the thing is the thing that you always struggle with, if you then allow that thing to exist in your presence, then you are asking for trouble. And by the way, one person may not struggle with that thing and therefore have no issue with something being around. But you and I might have a struggle over here and that thing they don't struggle with, we do struggle with. We're the ones who need to make sure that we don't make provision for those struggles. Pastor Mitchell again said this, we must not give the flesh an inch or it will take a mile. Give it one glance and it will want to see more. Give it one thought and it will provoke an action. You see, how effective you and I are going to be in winning our neighbors to Christ starts where this message ends. How effective we are in winning our neighbors for Christ is dependent on how well we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and how well we deal with the flesh. You see, there is a spiritual battle raging, and this is where the rubber meets the road. 
And if you and I are going to walk honestly before our neighbor as the children of the day, then you and I need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to put off the works of the flesh. And we need to make no provision for the flesh. And you and I need to make sure that you and I are having good witnesses before our neighbors. It's a test of how well we're casting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light. Remember as we close this chapter that the day of Christ's coming is nearer now than we first believed. Soon you and I will be taken out of here. So we need to put on the armor of light. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to follow Christ out of the darkness into the new day. As we wait for the day of his appearing to dawn. You and I need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I read this illustration. Picture yourself walking into a clothing store. You're in rags, hardly covered, and you have no money. You've come to ask the owner for simple clothes, something about to be discarded. But he gives you a fine new suit, shoes, underwear, shirt, and all that you need. And he says to you, now conduct yourself in the manner that fits the clothes. You know, God, through Jesus Christ, has given you and I an undeserved title. We're called saints. You and I are to be clothed in his righteousness. He's given to us a new set of clothes, more than we deserve. You and I had filthy rags. But when you and I trusted Jesus Christ, our Savior, he presented us with a brand new set of clothes. He gave us the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us the armor of light. He gave us these new clothes. And now you and I need to live in a way that reflects the clothes that we wear. Question is, how shall we live in this new clothing? In this new change of life? Paul is telling us here in Romans 13 get rid of self that you and I should not feed self in any shape or form that you and I should give up not give ourselves anything to eat this is spiritually do not give ourselves anything to drink do not indulge ourselves at all self is the cause of all of our troubles do not indulge ourselves at all in selfish things Drunkenness, revelings, chambering, wantonness, envying, and strife, all these things are manifestations of self. Now what satisfy the flesh? But don't bring glory to God. So we all need to put off self and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I need to conduct ourselves in a manner that fits our new clothes. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We thank you for the book of Romans. We thank you for this chapter and this exhortation of how we ought to live before our neighbors. How that we are to walk honestly as before them as children of the day. That we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and that we're to put off the works of darkness. Lord, help us, Father, to indeed 
walk in a way that reflects the new clothing that you've given to us, that we might indeed put on the Lord Jesus Christ and bring glory to you and therefore have an effective witness to our neighbours for your glory. Commend your word to us now, we pray this night in Jesus' name. Amen.